Welcome to the Up The Cream podcast episode 6, I'm Dan Tomlinson and I'm joined as always by Rich Harrison aka Pommy. Rich, how are you doing pal? Yeah, I'm good mate, and you? Yeah, good thank you mate, spot on. Um, another good win, uh, if you can say that, against Featherstone, 34-14. Game of two halves, you know that old adage, but we're in the next round of the cup and I suppose that's what really matters. Yeah mate, job done. I think that one, it was a potential banana skin and we've, we've done well to avoid that. And um, yeah, job done, I think. Yeah, I mean, mental game. It was, this, the first first half in particular was absolutely nuts. Featherstone going for a yeah. short kick-off right from the you know first minute, getting the ball back, scoring. But I must say the response from all after that was good. You know, you can think yeah. Featherstone, they're fired up to the max. They go 4 mil up, they'll be absolutely buzzing. But Hull, you know, their first two sets of the ball scored both times. So yeah, I was... Pretty content with the response, and obviously to go thirty-four four up, you know, it's pretty, 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 pretty pleasing as far as the first half goes. Yeah, absolutely, and and that try of uh, Johnston's, you know, the double run around, um, you know, if that had been scored by a, I don't know, a, a Tommy Mackinson or a, you know, or a, um, or a Roby or something, we'd be hearing about it for the rest of our lives, wouldn't we? You know, but the fact that it was whole second string hooker that did that, and yeah, admittedly against second division opposition, that was a hell of a try. Hell of a try. Did it bring back some memories of David Topless at Ellen Road in 82? Did, yeah, did, did bring back a bit, a bit of a topper, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that, that was, that one was, was done at pace and in a really important match. But this one was done, you know, it was it was done with a bit of craft and a bit of guile. It's obviously something they've been working on for a while because it, and it just came off perfectly. Um, and it did look very much like it was a Johnston move rather than a move that could be interchanged with Hodgson or with any, uh, with Houghton, sorry, or anyone else. Um, so, you know, that's, that was great, actually. Really good. Yeah, the classic runaround. Love it. And, yeah, mm. t- two of them as well. You know, linking up with first Brad Fash and then Josh yeah. Gordon. Good awareness from young Johnston. I don't know if I can say young, he's yeah. 22 or 23. But, yeah, it was good to see him come in and have a good performance like that. Tony Ray gave him the Our League Man of the Match over here, you know, obviously the UK coverage. And, yeah, it was just, you know, good to see him get a fair run out. And yeah, I thought he was pretty tardy, you know, all round, you know, fair play to him. Well done. Yeah, mate. I mean, and that's good, in it, that we've, we've got... You know, because that'll keep everyone on the toes that we've got a bit of competition for places. I mean, unfortunately, you know, with Reynolds going down injured game before last, um, and it's meant that that you know Ben McNamara's had to come in. Uh, but you know, to put um, to put Danny Houghton at halfback as well, um, and, and bring Johnson in. You know, we we didn't although again second division opposition that you're playing against, but we look pretty we were pretty sharp. I thought first half, um, second half, least said the better. But um, you know, we, we look we look fairly sharp. Yeah, the second half was a bloody tough watch. Just yeah. it was what well, not great. You know, forget the FC's performance, the actual spectacle. The second half was was poor. And it's interesting to see Jordan Lane, he really criticised the performance said it, you know, it's not good enough, we expect better from ourselves. And I love to hear things like that. But Hodgson said yeah, the especially same. When you've won, especially when you won by by twenty points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great. It's just you know that yeah. that's the type of things we want to hear as, as supporters, obviously. But you know, you can think mm. Featherstone, it was bloody dark, you know, in that second half. I mean their yeah. floodlights are terrible. Are they using candles? What was that? I it, was, it, was really, it was fine in the middle of the pitch, but once you get once you got towards the try line, it was terrible, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was like Radford said three years ago when we played Featherstone in the cup. He said uh, 
think they forgot to put the 50p in the meter, you know, towards the end of the game because, you know, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you can always rely on Lee Ransford, can Well, his post-match wits that day were absolutely hilarious comparing that Jamie Shaw tackle to Bobby Boucher, you know, the famous Adam yes. Zander Waterboy film. That was, that was sensational. And, you know, saying that big tough lads like John Davis picking on young Jez Litton who was about nine stone piss wet through. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, that was him at his comedy best. But, yeah, Featherston, yeah, I know they, obviously, they, they actually own their own ground and they run it all out their own back pocket and you know they've been mm. self-sufficient for you know 10 years as a very good championship club and fair play to them but it's a bit farcical in it when you're going up the hill second half and you can't even see what's going on you have to bloody squint to yeah. see you know the players unfolding but yeah the second half one weren't great I thought we fell into a few old habits there was a few unforced errors you know the incomplete sets lack of composure I don't want to get too critical but it's you know we want to stick to these standards it's all about attitude and mentality and we want to be bob, you know bang at it for the 80 minutes week in week out I thought the game, you know, as good as Danny Houghton and Ben McNamara were in the first half, it's just another example of how vital Mark Sneed is to this side. And yeah. I don't understand where his critics come from. I mean, you put on Twitter last week when the England squad came out, where's Sneed? And I've been banging that drum yeah. for five years, mate. It's absolutely ridiculous yeah. when you think... Do you see people say he's not good enough? I'm like, he has kicked every team in that league to death at one point or another. Literally. Yeah. Every single team in Super League has suffered at the boot and at the brain of Mark Sneed. But people just can't see what's in front of them, can they? No, they can't. He's a big game player as well. And he, he's calm. How many times have we seen an England halfback come, come up against Australia or New Zealand? And the occasion's oh. too big for him. Luke Gale in the World and Cup final. Wrap themselves. Exactly. And Mark Sneed is you know, he's yeah. cool as cucumber. He's, you know, yeah. the bloody Iceman that could sell ice to an Eskimo. He is sensational. Yeah. I just don't get his look, critics. I'm... I really don't. And I, I, I replied to one of the idiots on, on Twitter. And I know you should never get into it conversation with these pricks but I did and, um, uh, and I tend to be doing it more often these days I have to watch myself but um, this one particular bloke was, was talking I said look I'm not saying he needs to be in the top you know in the first 13 I'm not even saying he needs to be on the bench I'm saying he should be in the squad you got a squad there that, that looks to me pretty light on, on goal kickers really you, you're going to need you're going to need someone that can you know that can sit in a squad and that you take to a World Cup and can sit there and can be on the bench if you need someone you know, to to knock over a field goal because, um, you know, the Rovers game, which I'm sure we'll get to just for comedy value, goes to show the absolute necessity of carrying a player who can kick a field goal if you need to. You know, it, that was just ridiculous, ridiculous. The Rovers game. And on that note, shout out to our most famous non SC player. Gareth O'Brien, who did it again. I must admit, that was brilliant. What it 19 minutes of extra time or whatever it was uh, to see. Oh, the script was written on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Another year without silverware since 1985. You just love to see it, don't you? No, no, exactly. And I just uh, I just engaged in a, in a little bit of uh, banter with a, a Rovers supporter who lives over here because he, he had a Rovers um, flask in his car and he's like, oh, I'm going to start taking my own coffee to work rather than paying $4.50 at the cafe and everything. And I said, well, yeah, it's good that it's in a flask because it wouldn't last long in the cup. <laughs> Sod him. <laughs> yeah, 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 I do, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I usually get there at about 10.5, you know. Oh, great, yeah, lovely. It'll be stone cold, mate. It's been 41 fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> It'll be frozen over. Never mind, cold. But, yeah, yeah it, it just shows, you know, obviously at their misfortune, it sort of plays into our point perfectly how imperative a Mark's need is and that left boot is incredible but it's not just that left boot we've seen in this year you know fire passes out to his edges to his back rowers when he goes short 
he's just he, he's a brilliant player. He absolutely is. And you get the right structure at LFC, which we seem to have got with Bradshaw these days. You know, our shapes have improved. Our attack just generally is more easy on the eye. You're going to see a Snead, you know, blossom into that attack even more. And he'll, and he'll get even better. That's the scary thing. He will get better as well. Yeah, well, you got to remember, mate, a halfback's only as good as the pack that's in front of him. Because if the pack that's in front of him is rolling forward, then your halfback has is, is got an easy job. Because then it's just about it's just about directing traffic, you know, and about putting your places where you need to put them. If your pack's going backwards, the best halfback in the world won't save it. You know, people forget, people forget, you know, you, everyone talks about, talks about Joey Johns and, and all the rest of it. You know, he won one competition in the entire time he played. One. And that's because they had a really, really good pack at the time. Um, you know, he, he might have won a, a little bit with um, with uh, New South Wales, but, you know, he, he coincided with a, a period of dominance for um, for Queensland, so he didn't win as much as he probably should have. And, you know, the, the Australian national team were unbeatable during his period anyway, with or without him. You could have probably picked three or four halfbacks. But, you know, because, because Newcastle didn't have a dominant pack... He was never that dominant as a player. He was a great player. Imagine how good he would have been if he'd have had a Melbourne Storm pack to play behind or something like that. He would have been unstoppable. And same with, you know, same with Sterling, same with Cliff Lyons, who played played in the 80s, same as, you know, same as now Cooper Cronk. You know, he's, he's he, he was a great player because he was playing behind a pack that was constantly dominating the opposition pack. Always, so that's why he was such. That's why he was such a, a dominant halfback, and that's what we need with Snead. But the problem is, when we've had a team that aren't really hitting the straps, and we aren't, we haven't had a, a pack that have been dominating. That's when Snead's look pedestrian. But anyone would look pedestrian behind a beaten pack. Albert Kelly, playing at six or at the, occasionally when he when he moved over to seven halfway through a match, was sublime for us. But this is the same Albert Kelly that was running backwards at Rovers because the pack were reversing. You know what I mean? Sneed is a must in an England squad because an England squad should have a dominant pack. And only against maybe Australia would that pack be seriously challenged. That pack should roll over a New Zealand. It should roll over a France. It should roll over a Tonga, you know, Samoa, whoever. They should roll over them because they're they're we we should have a really really strong pack. Sneed's a must for me to be in that squad, an absolute must. Yeah, and like I say, been banging that drum literally for you know four or five years now, and I always look at like your sixes like your boxer tricks, like your Albert yeah. Kellys, you know your Benji Marshalls. I mean, he's obviously two thousand five excellence at West Tigers. Now you're Josh Reynolds, and your seven is, is where you, your glue come. You know your glue, your leadership, the the bloke who stays you around the field week in week out, and that's what Snead does. Yeah. I always look back, at obviously, you know the games that we've seen, in, especially in the Radford tenure. And you look at Snead's performances, the big games, he was always there. You know, absolutely kick leads to death in the semi final of the Challenge Cup in seventeen. Does the same in the final against Wigan the year before. You know the the three peaches, the forty twenty that gets it all going. The kick. Yeah. The kick for Fanua to score, the kick again for James Shaw to score. He's just, he's instrumental. And it doesn't matter if people say, oh yeah, but his passing isn't great. Yeah, but his kicking is absolutely sensational. It's not like he can't pass, of course the bloke can pass. You know, it's only idiots like Gary, like Gary Schofield to say he can't pass. And I just, yeah. I really don't understand the critics that he gets. It just yeah. absolutely baffles me. To any Sneed critic, the game you show them is that game against Catalan when we should have lost. 
you know, we were two points down with three seconds remaining. And he does the short kickoff that's just tantalisingly on the on the line, which means that the Catalan player touches it, we get a penalty at halfway, he kicks it. Then the next kick we kick off and golden point, he makes touch, and then three tackles later he knocks over a failed goal job done. You know, we were a million to one to win that match, kicking off with three seconds left, two points down. A million to one to win that match and he turned it around. That's Mark Smith. That's a clutch player, mate. An absolute clutch player. Yeah, absolutely. In his element back then, wasn't he? Just a phenomenal yeah. player. And you don't, you, you know, I noticed in the second half, you're thinking, right, what we're we missing right now? We're missing a Mark Snead. Because, like I say, Houghton, McNamara, they did show some nice touches. I would like Ben to get more involved, especially because he has got the role for, for, for you know, for the next well, four or five weeks while Josh Reynolds is out. So you, you do want him to see, you know, see him get more touches on the ball, get more involved for longer periods. But what he did do was good. But, that game was crying out for a sneed in the second half. We did lack a little bit of composure, and yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a calm head on you know a pair of shoulders, isn't he? He's just yeah. a you know, phenomenal player. Absolutely, and we des- we desperately need him back for that Warrington game, desperately. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a good test, that to see where we are. Obviously, <clears> their fans are not happy with Steve Price, the coach. Obviously, he's leaving at the end of the year. We did touch on this a little bit last week that they are you know they're a nut yeah. job, absolute crazy nut job, and they scraped past Swinson yesterday. Uh, the for the Warrington podcast on Twitter, it's what would Brian Bevan say? And listen yeah. to a couple of episodes, and yeah, you only have to listen to it for five minutes just to know that yeah you know, they're not happy with the Warrington Wolves of two thousand and twenty one. So yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll be an interesting it, it, it game. It was that. a strange appointment. Was was Steve Price? It was a strange appointment all in because he didn't really do much over here either. And you know, normally when someone comes over as a coach, you can you can point to some sort of success they've had, even if it was in the dim and distant past. But he hadn't really done much. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I always I always kind of was a little bit baffled as to how he got the job in the first bloody place. But um, yeah, there's obviously moves afoot there, and obviously with with Powell getting it next year. And now you got. I saw, you know, when he when he got the job, the Warrington supporters were split very fifty fifty as to, oh, you know, fantastic, we're going to get a good new English coach and everything. And the other ones going, hang on a minute, he's won bugger all, <laughs> you know, he's won nothing. Um, and a few of them just saying, well, I hope he brings Watts with him, I hope he brings Blah with him, I hope he brings this guy with him, I hope he brings that guy with him, you know. So they're not happy. They're not happy with their squad. Never mind anything else. Yeah, it is a good point, and it will be interesting to see what unfolds on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, we're back at the KCOM. I know that doesn't really mean much with no fans there, but yeah, we're in, I think all are still in a good place, and I think we will give them a good crack, and especially when you've got two absolute flying centres in Carlos Tumavavi and Josh Griffin, who you know have been absolutely sensational for all for the past different God knows gravy. how many years now. Yeah, different gravy, just yeah. absolutely brilliant week in week out. Yeah, mate. Just, just like I said to you last week, I think it's just, just so underrated and and so underappreciated outside of Hull. You know, just yeah, just phenomenal players, phenomenal players. The st- the, the work that Tumavave gets through, um, and his defence and and Griffin, like I said, for a massive bloke, he's so elusive. Um, yeah, mate. We we've got two diamonds there. We really have. We have absolutely, and good to see him get on the try scoring charts as well. Uh, Griffin's yeah. got four and three now, and obviously Carlos got a bit of a fortunate brace, if you can say so. Uh, Featherston, yeah. uh, some of the tries were fortunate in the first half, it must be said. But you make your own luck, don't you, by putting pressure on the opposition. So, but yeah, they're, they're, they're absolutely phenomenal. It's just everything they do. It's the ugly stuff as well, you know, them carries 
coming out of yardage, you know, in your own half. Griffin will put his hand up every time, so will Carlos. You know, they make 150, 200 metres every single week. Defensively, they're good, you know, the tough, tough players. Big blokes as well that are strong, fast, you know, they glide around the field, they link up well with the wingers. I think they've got a good understanding there. And that's huge, especially for Griffin, you know, having continuity with his winger and obviously his uh, half-back and his back rower. And interestingly, saying that, you've just had a swap with Swift out and obviously Brett Fremo came in at the weekend. He's had his half-back changed already with Sneed out. And now he could have his back rower changed if the worst happens with Manuel Mount, who obviously picked up a little yeah. calf problem on Saturday. So. Yeah, exactly. But, but of all people, you know, of, of, of all times... This 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 squad this this atmosphere that we seem to have created in three matches, you'd back us to kind of deal with that, wouldn't you? At the moment, we just feel like we're more professional. We feel like we're more organised, more planned, um, and you'd back us to cope with that now. Um, whereas a couple of years ago, you'd go, oh, bloody hell, look at another injury crisis. Oh God, who's out now? All oh, right, well, no, that's us for the next couple of weeks. You know, you'd still back us to probably beat Warrington. Even with the injuries, yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely, I'll, I'll definitely back all on Sunday. I think we'll all get the job done. Won't be as uh, comfortable as the first two so play grounds by all means. I mean, winning thirty by a margin of thirty-one points against Salford was phenomenal. And just on yeah. the point that you just made there, that was the perfect example of it. You know, losing a Sneed and a Reynolds in the second half and yeah. playing twenty minutes of the game and not even you know not even remotely phased by it, which is no. we're not used to that as full FC fans, are we? No, we're not. We're not. And, you know, I mean, arguably, there's been a couple of seasons in our fairly recent history where it has been, you know, just an absolute injury of fun. You know I mean? And we looked like we were cursed for a while. Do you know what I mean? Gareth Ellis getting injured in his first... Well, it's a warm-up for the first game, wasn't it, that he went down? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, that's... You know, then I think there was a year in... Was it 2003, 2004, where we lost three players to season-ending injuries in two games? You know, Tony Smith went. That was the last we ever saw of him. Um, I think um, a couple of others went as well. We just that was it. You know, we we just seemed to we just seemed to um, we just seemed to be cursed for a while there. Um, but we we you know we we had a good run 2016-17 where we you know we obviously won the cups, but we were also a fairly healthy squad. We seemed to get it right. Um, and and you know, Reynolds hamstring. You know, the, the guy's thirty-one. He's gonna have tight hamstrings when he's when he's running around the field like he like he does. We've just gotta, you know, we we gotta keep him in cotton wool a little bit and, and roll him out for the big ones, baby. Um, but you know, on on the evidence of the first two games, mate, it, it's say, t- telling t- telling Josh Reynolds take it easy today and and you know just kind of stay in your lane. That that's not gonna work. You know, he's gonna be he's gonna be legging it all over the place. That's just the player he is. You know, so you're going to get that high octane thing, which unfortunately means he throws himself in where his boots going, and he throws himself in where there's, you know, where there's arms swinging and everything, and he's the kind of player that other players like to hit. So the likelihood is he is going to get injured occasionally, and that's just the player he is. Absolutely, and we all know rugby league blokes they just want to stay off the field, though. Oh, sorry, on the field, not off the field. Um, and that's why obviously the the HIAs are down to the doctors now because you'll have a player that won't even know what day of the week it is, but he'll still want to stay on the field. And yeah, Reynolds obviously falls into that category. Yeah, Jake Connor after you know bringing him up last week, he's had a superb start to the season, and that continued at Featherstone. Obviously, had hand in look, you know, many many of Hull's tries on the evening, and obviously he missed out on the England squad. 
Mr. John Wayne, obviously admitted him from the 35 players. One player that was in that squad was Sam Tompkins, and I sort of watched Catalans and Wakefield. It was right before the old game. It literally finished about five, ten minutes before we kicked off, and you know what? He's back to the 2013 form that he had at Wigan before he went to the NRL. He's, you know, he's incredible. Absolutely sublime player, and I sort of think, right, that's the level Jake Connor needs to get to, you know, week in, week out, over a sustained period, and if he does that, then he will be in that squad. That's not to say that I don't think it's absolute bollocks that he wants in the squad because no one's telling me there's 35 players that are better than Jake Connor. <laughs> but yeah, and, I sort of get it a little recent, bit. And, and he's got recent England appearances as well, which which that makes it even more baffling to me. I mean, a different coach, yeah, but I mean, he was he, he played, you know, he, he almost single-handedly turned that game in Denver and then he's played in other, other squads since. It's just, you know, it, it seems to me like his face doesn't fit with Wayne for, for whatever reason. Maybe he's not the kind of player that Wayne likes. I don't know. But, uh, you know, all, all he's got to do now is go out and prove, prove him wrong. And also sign a new contract with us. Yeah. <laughs> They're the two things that he needs to go and do. Yeah, I think we all need to start putting pressure on the club's Twitter account now. An out snake. Yeah. Now, five-year yes. deal. Get it done. <laughs> yeah, but, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point about the, the Denver and also obviously the series against the Kiwis back in England the same year. He had a you know, he played at centre yeah. in those three games and he had a, yeah. obviously a huge role in England's two one series win over the Kiwis. So it's not like he um been there and done that. He actually has. So yeah, like I say, his omission was complete bollocks, but I do understand that there is a level that he needs to get to in order to reach the Sam Tonkins and it's and it's probably continuity yeah. is the big thing, like we say. It, it, it's sustained, isn't it? He's yeah. gotta sustain it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if he does that and he is left out of that World Cup squad, then I probably will get the pitchforks out and I won't say knock on yeah. Mr Wayne's door, maybe give him an angry email. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, can you remember that? There was, was it the World Cup a few years back? The, I can remember that because the final of it was late November and it was on the same day as my wife's bloody Christmas party. So I took I took my, my phone with me and just sat really quietly in a corner and watched the game. And it was when we didn't score a point in the final against um, Australia. 6-0. And you, yeah, 6-0. And you look at it and you just go, do you know what? A Sneed, uh, a Connor, uh, you know, someone with that little bit of X factor would have really pepped us up that day. Would have just been, would it would have just been that that little bit of difference. Even coming off the bench, you know, someone that's just someone that the Aussies have never seen before, or they haven't done their their homework on, you know, that that's what we need sometimes. I mean, geez, I was, you know, and, and kind of even for a block my age, I still play a little bit of PlayStation. But you know, I've got that rugby league game on my PlayStation, and Andrew Voss is calling Snead Snide. <laughs> they know nothing about him. <laughs> they don't even know how to pronounce the bugger's name. Get him in there. <laughs> Get him or O'Connor in there. Because that little bit of X Factor, that little bit of spark, that little bit of difference that the Aussies haven't seen before. You know, and with Sneed's kicking game, bloody hell. You know? I mean it just it, it beggars belief. You know, you can you can change codes and you can look at, you know, the England soccer squads that never picked Matt Letissier or dropped Paul Gascoigne before a World Cup or whatever. You know, when we all when when we got knocked out of the tournaments that they missed out on, you could tell that we were crying out for something with a bit of X factor. And you know, you can always look back with you know you know can you can kind of post rationalise after after the fact and say, Oh, if only we'd done this, if only we'd done that. But in this case and in those cases that I've just mentioned, people were screaming for it before the fact. You know, and, and when you look at that squad that Sean Wayne has named, it's it's conservative. It's a conservative squad. 
35 players that you know what you're going to get from. You know, there's there's no there's there's not a lot of X factor in that. No, there isn't. That's a you know fair. A fair comment. It was, it was pretty safe, like you say, in his selections. A lot of ex-Wigan mates, which was probably not a surprise. He knows them blokes more yeah. than he knows, obviously, players from other clubs. But, you know, he proclaims to watch every Super League match. He's there in person, you know, every yeah. week up high in the stand. I, th- I thought he'd have, a, you know, a little bit more about him. And, like I say, we do understand that Jake Connor has another level to reach at full-back, but not to be in that yeah. squad at all. Uh, I think, it, you know, it, he's utter bollocks and... The Maverick point is excellent because it's something Adrian Derham uh, pointed out. Uh, he was having a bit of a rant yeah. with Paul Cook on Twitter, actually, because you know, he yeah. thinks it's nonsense that he's not in the squad as well. And it is, and it's not just us having Hull FC goggles on. You know, that Jake Connor's yeah. phenomenal, we all know that. And he's, you know, he does it in three positions. Yeah. And obviously, the halfback is probably a position where he got a lot of criticism last year, but he's also had games in, in, where he's excelled in that position. Totally. When you look at that squad as well, I mean, there is a little bit of. Oh, he plays in the NRL, so he must be good in it as well. Herbie Farnworth from the Brisbane Broncos. What? Broncos are terrible, and he's not been good. You know, just because he plays in the NRL doesn't mean he's a shoe in for a position. You know, he's all right. He's young. He's he's got English heritage, and he, he plays in the centres. But there are other English centres. I mean, arguably, you put Connor in there instead of Herbie Farnworth straight away, because he's had a terrible start to the season. He's not really done much, and Brisbane have been bleeding awful. Awful, but he plays in the NRL. Yeah, you, <laughs> but he plays in the NRL, you know. Um, yet yeah, Ryan Sutton, yet yeah, Whitehead and Williams, and and yes, um, you know the other guys that play for uh, you know Hodgson and uh, that, that play for uh, for Canberra. You can say absolutely, you know Ryan Sutton, absolutely. Um, but then you look, you know, Luke Thompson really hasn't set the world on fire, although he did score this weekend, but Bulldogs got smashed again. Um, hasn't set the world on fire since he's been over here, you know. Self-build as the world's greatest prop has done sod all since he's been over here, really. Um, except, you know, get get yellow-carded once and, and and spend a bit of time on the sidelines injured. He's not really done much else. Um, you know, Tom Burgess, really? He's, he's been all right, but he's not been great for South Sydney. Um, and then you look down it, and you know Jermaine McGilvery, his day's done. You know there are other young backs that could do a better job than him at the moment. I thought he was bloody average against us. Yeah, I mean he's had his day, hasn't he? You know, phenomenal four or five years ago. But you might if, as well pick bloody Ryan Hall. Well, exactly. You're England wingers right now. If he's in better form. Exactly. Well, yeah, after what he did on the opening day alone. But if you're looking at England wingers, it's Tommy Makinson and Tom Johnston. Case closed. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see Johnson in a decent team, you know. I, I, you know, you put him in a Wigan or you put him in a St. Helens, he'd be unstoppable. Yeah, and I remember there's a Sky interview where someone actually said to him, are you going to... The wedding was like, are you going to think about moving to a bigger club? <laughs> Which was yeah. obviously a bit savage, and he just went, oh, I think that's real disrespectful. But, you know, with all due respect to you, you know, Tom, you know, he, just, he needs to be in a in a squad that's winning yeah. more weeks than not, not in a Wakefield or, you know, these days, it seems to be fighting to stay up every year. Yeah, but can you imagine him with with a Griffin inside him? Well, yeah, or a, or or a, a you know, or a or a Carlos in, on the, on his on his um, on his shoulder. Do you know, um, you know, it's frightening, isn't it? I mean, he's he's such a such a better player as a winger with a with a good, really good quality centre giving you early quality ball. You know, I, I don't I don't see it. I really don't see it. I, I don't at all. Uh, 
yeah, it's a obviously interesting one. I suppose it's that you know old adage, you know, Lee Breeze stayed at Warrington for all those years when they was crap before yeah. they won a couple of cups, yeah. and you know you see it all Absolutely. the time where a player stays loyal. I mean, you've already used um, Matt Letizia as your example, and I know a different sport yeah. in football, soccer, but yeah. now he stayed at Southampton, and you know they were toilet in the Premier League, weren't they? For Alan Shearer yeah. going to Newcastle yeah. and staying there when he could have gone to Man United is another example. You know, yeah. George Lad yeah, wants, yeah. wants to go to his yeah. hometown club, but he could have won about ten Premier League titles if he went to Manchester. So. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's you know down to the individual there. Uh, back to FC then. We've obviously got the job done against Featherstone. You know, potential banana skin championship club fired up. You know all that nonsense. Then we've got Wigan now in the next round. Obviously, it's three weeks away, but everyone will have an eye on that because it is the cup. It's you know there is the romance of the cup. It, you know these big games that you don't get up for them, and yeah. it's a it's a big test. You know, Hull and Wigan needs no introduction these days. We've played in some right games over the past few seasons. Totally, and especially in the cup. It's still got that magic for us from from '85, you know. Even though we were on the losing team, you know that was that was just about the greatest Wembley game of rugby league ever. Um, you know, it's just a phenomenal game. So th- th- there's a bit of romance there, isn't there? And, and like, and you know, we, we need we need to beat a Wigan to, to get to the final. We have to. We've done it before. Um, and you know, this stage of the cup, there are no easy games. Um, you know, unless you pick Rovers, um, but. Um, you know, it's it's just they're a team that they're a team that you have to beat to get to the final, and you know you'd likely think that whoever wins that game out of Holland Wigan will go to the final. It's a fair shout because you obviously got St Helens uh, yeah. that are still in there. It all I imagine depends on, all depends on you know the, the hot and cold balls, doesn't it? The next oh time yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure that, yeah, just to make sure that you you stay away from us in the next round. Well, but, that's you it, know, isn't it? You, yeah. you'd, you'd you'd think that whoever wins that tie. It'd be odds on to go to the final. Yeah, if, obviously, like you say, if they get the cold ball, cold ball out and make sure that they avoid St. Helens, they'd love a Saints Wigan yeah. final, wouldn't they? Bloody hell. Oh, wouldn't they just? Wouldn't they? Yeah, but, yeah hopefully we can be party poopers again and make sure that doesn't happen. Um, obviously, three Super League games to negotiate our way past before that. We've actually got Wigan the week before the Cup game as well, so we're playing back to back weeks. Uh, yeah, right. And we don't even know the venue yet where the Cups game's played. You know, what, what, was, what was we saying about uh, the UK? and the UK game and the administration of it and when we tried to do the bloody cup draw and they bloody couldn't even get the timings right and then the you know things like that and now we don't even know the venues I mean that's ridiculous all we know is that they're going to be two double headers at a neutral location so probably Leeds I'm guessing maybe could be one with them being knocked out so obviously Henley seems to be a favourable location these days and Oh, God. Well, you know, yeah. it's not a soccer ground as well, is it? So, I mean, you know, you'd, you'd like to think maybe Huddersfield, but, you know, they share it with Huddersfield Town as well, you know, end of the season for them. And, you know, so, you know, um, yeah, you'd, you'd think he probably would be. And, and maybe Halliwell for the other one. Yeah, not a bad shout. If you, if you could put, like, maybe Ullum Wigan. And obviously, yeah, the Warrington game. Uh, Edenley maybe, then you've got two games to play at Warrington itself. Or Langtree Park's obviously yeah. another option. Or I refuse to say the ridiculous name of the stadium. It'll always be Langtree Park to me. Just like Cass will always be Weldon Road and Wakefield will be Bellevue. Yeah. Totally, totally, yeah. And, you know, when we get our nice new stadium at Costello, you know, um, we can call it the Boulevard 2.0. So. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Better than the Atropa Stadium. Oh, God. Yeah. Or the d- right. Jacuzzi it's... Arena. <laughs> the Jacuzzi. Uh, uh, 
You can imagine that, can't you? Uh, you know, obviously, Jacuzzi getting big with all at the moment, aren't they? You can you imagine uh, Neil Ground and they have like a like like at Brisbane, the Gabba when they have the the Ashes and you've got the bloody hot tubs and there's people in there with your beers watching cricket. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine that at all? <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you said about about names of places as well. When Rovers moved from the old Craven Park to the new one, I remember my dad being absolutely thrilled, and I mean thrilled, when he worked out that it was on Poorhouse Lane. He was like, "Oh, isn't that just brilliant?" And he, he still calls it Poorhouse Lane. He won't call it anything else. Poorhouse Lane. So, <laughs> yeah, mate. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's just a name, but uh, it can be important, can't it? I think yeah, I, I think it's. Uh... A big thing, I really do, and I don't like, uh, like for example, you look at the Super Leagues when they obviously Murdoch came in with all his millions and decided that we all need to have some Americanisation with your with your Tigers and your uh, your Bradford Bulls. I mean, and, and you think they used to be called Bradford Northern. That's probably the hardest name that's yeah. ever been yeah. in a rugby league team. And I know Wigan have a you know a big gripe with the Warriors, especially when they did the new badge. I mean, it looks like a bloody yeah. Viking cross Saxon cross bloody. Oh, that's yeah. ridiculous video game character but it looks ridiculous and you know they have a big problem with that that's what i like about st ellen's all and rovers to be fair to and we've kept our identity and i think it is a you know yeah. it's actually a massive thing especially to you know traditional yeah, I, I agree i agree and and the hull and hull hulkings and rovers thing it's important you know worldwide people know people know that there's a rivalry and there's two two teams in the city and all the rest of it that they just get it um and you're right you know a lot of that is branding a lot of that is, you know, do you know, I was watching the game yesterday and I'm sure we'll get on to the Tigers, the West Tigers, because, God, I sat through that yesterday and, and wanted to neck myself about three or four times. But um, did you watch any of that game? I watched the full game. I watched all eight this right. weekend. How sad oh, is that? <laughs> More than I did. More than I did, because I was on holiday this week and I was in a place that, that didn't have Fox, um, so I could only watch the Channel 9 games and I couldn't. I didn't even have enough um, coverage on my phone because it was in the middle of bloody nowhere. But um, so I did watch that, and when we were getting stuffed just before half time, the ground announcer tried to get a chant going. Come on, everybody, tigers, tigers! And I'm like, when you need to manufacture atmosphere, that is the absolute just pinnacle of losing it as a as a franchise or as a club or as a whatever or as a as a body of, of people when you have to manufacture atmosphere that is just that just shows a you're getting trounced at home but b that was a full house yesterday and they call like our oval the eighth wonder you know it's the eighth wonder of the world and you know it's a it's a it's an amazing um small intimate um suburban ground in 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 the west of Sydney and it is just a dream place to play rugby league on a Sunday afternoon it's like what dreams are made of playing at Lake Oval and for to have to have a ground announcer trying to get people whipped up that that just proves that there's something wrong with the what the what we're actually showing on the pitch now can you imagine halfway through a game while the game was being played while we were in possession Someone coming over the tannoy at the KC and trying to start singing Old Faithful. Can you imagine how it Yeah, it just wouldn't happen, would it? I know, obviously, the KC atmosphere is bad at times, but, you know, we don't need to kick up the backside to get going. (laughs) No, no. And that is just awful, isn't it? Just the the fact that you have to manufacture something like that, just that's just awful. And, And, you know... 
the whole thing with branding and, and with having an identity as a club starts with your supporters. Yeah, you reflect what we're given from the club. And yeah, you know, the irregular black and white hoops or a red and white if you're Rovers. It's important. And that's why the rest of the league never liked the Bradford Bulls. Because all of that marketing plan was quite cynically stolen from Casey Cougars, who did it two years before. Um, and then were absolutely shafted by the RFL uh, with Super League and everything when that came in. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of going around in circles trying to make a point, but God, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. The razzmatazz and the forced, you know, it's like going on a cruise ship. It's like, you know, you're sitting there in your deck chair and enjoying yourself and someone coming up and going, come on, let's go play squash. Let's go play water polo. Sod off, I'm on holiday. <laughs> it's like that forced fun. Oh, I'm probably getting too old. I just can't stand it. Yeah, I think there's some legs in there. I mean, I'm only 29 and I agree with you, so maybe I'm getting miserable as well, but yeah, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, probably. Yeah, it's probably my fault. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're just there. Uh, yeah, it's all miserable gits. But the West Tigers yeah, yeah, thing, you only had to wait Ugh. five minutes later anyway because at half time, they started booing and they were loud boos yeah. as well. And then you had the bloody yeah. half time coverage was all about the booing. Do you agree with it? Do you not? And then. Obviously, yeah, I, uh, I noticed on Twitter, Phil Gold had his opinion saying I don't agree with it. Well, these are fans that are obviously, you know, pig sick of what they've enjoyed for the past 10 years. Because yeah. it has been, you know, it's like, I think you all said to me, your private message over the weekend, said it's a Rovers-like state of mediocrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the new Hulk I are, do you know? Um, and, and this, the, the, I don't know. The, the whole thing with, with Maguire <clears throat> as a coach, Yet did it with Wigan, yet did it with South. But he's one of these he's one of these coaches that tends to be a bit no nonsense and a bit a bit, you know, loud and a bit brash and a bit kicking things over in the changing room. He wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit. Which doesn't seem to be working. Really doesn't seem to be working. Now all the pre match build up for that game, they were talking about the fact that um Todd Payton was really struggling in his first head coach role, his first proper full-time head coach role. And the fact that he'd come out during the week and he'd even questioned the professionalism of his players by saying, I don't think they're eating properly. I don't think they're hydrating properly. I don't think their preparation is good enough. And, you know, you had you had a couple of players, ex-players there, and you had uh, Sean Johnson there saying, oh, look, if, if a coach had said that to me, I'd be absolutely horrified. Something that should be said in private. It's not something that should be said to the press. I'm, dis- I'm disgusted he's even said it. You know, you had James Graham there saying, look, I've needed to kick up the ass occasionally in my career, but it's always been done quietly in private, and I've had my chance to reflect and go out and make the changes. I don't know how I'd react if it was done in public. Well, I tell you what, look at the way the Cowboys reacted. They came out and absolutely put the Tigers to the sword. And sometimes a coach needs that. A coach needs to give the blowtorch to his players publicly. Unfortunately, every time Maguire's done it, it's backfired on him. You know, Momorowski left to go to your mob. Um, you know, um, Madison left to go to the Eels. Um, they have all kind of wandered off and just gone, this bloke's a prick, I don't like him. You know, so, and now, even, even this morning in the papers, um, even after all that show of, of unity around Luke Brooks and saying, oh, you know, we're not looking at Jackson Hastings and it's all good, Luke, you know, and all the rest of it, they've come out this morning and gone, look, if we can get rid of him, we'll get rid of him. <laughs> the club are going all out for Adam Reynolds from South. And they're even thinking about um, a Reynolds-Jackson Hastings halfback pair- pairing next year. That's what they're after. 
which on paper ain't, ain't bad. It, interesting, the Reynolds stuff, because Damien Cook was on the big league rap last night and they rang him up and he said yeah. that the main reason he came to South was to play with Adam Reynolds and obviously now the club yeah. are in limbo about what to do with his contract, which obviously expires at the end of the year. And, and then uh, Blocker, Steve Roach, was on about, you know, loyalty to a club and dispensing yeah. on the cap for homegrown players and, you know, what have you. And he, he went yeah. on a pretty big rant about it and, he, you know, he's got a point. And I, especially from the Penrith Panther point of view, I'm looking at, you know, my NRL side now and, you know, what, 13 of the 17 again were, you know, local talents that have come through the Penrith systems. And if they were going to get poached again, like, you know, like Lewis did all those years ago, like Wade Graham did, it's sort of yeah. like, what's the point in doing all this? You know, it's great, yeah, club ethos is, you know, look at us, we're developing our own players on, like, Sydney Roasters, you know, it's great. And, and, and I love yeah. it. I love it all as well when we bring a local lad through. It's brilliant. You see it with Jordan Lane yeah. now. It, you know, Brad Fash ripping up trees. It, it's great to see. But, again, when you've got others poaching around the hills, I mean, you've seen it with West Tigers. You mentioned a few weeks ago, you look at the talent that's left that club over the past few years. Yeah, that's elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's all right. It's, it, I think he, he has got a point. There should be a massive dispensation on the cap where Salves can throw stupid money at him and know that they're not yeah. going to be interfered You know, on that cap because it doesn't matter. Totally. And, and you see, that's your difference between league and, and, and like soccer, isn't it? In that, you know, at least in soccer, you can command a transfer fee for a player, you know, if he's come through the ranks or whatever, and, and then, um, you know, you, he goes to a different team. At least you're going to get some, some financial compensation for him, but you don't get that in rugby league. People just work out until until the end of their contract. When was the last time you saw a bloody transfer fee paid? You know, that's what, that's what frightened the Tigers off. With, with Hastings because they said to Wigan oh look can, we, can you release him early on compassionate grounds he wants to come home he's homesick and all the rest of it and Wigan went no you pay a transfer fee and the Tigers went oh no screw that and started looking somewhere else you know straight away I mean the, the, no one pays transfer fees anymore and that was always your, your backstop was that if you did if you were one of these teams that, that constantly you know had, a, had a, a nursery of amazing players well at least then you were going to get some financial compensation if they went somewhere else but you look at the players that the Tigers have lost over the years, and, and you know they're, they're everywhere. Josh Adokar, Tedesco, Momorowski, um, you know um, uh, Brooks, Moses, uh, sorry, Moses and Woods left as well. You know we had that big four that everyone was talking about three or four years ago that we had to keep, and the one out of the four that we kept was Brooks. And it was the worst one of all of them. <laughs> you know it's just terrible. Maybe some mismanagement. You look at the Sharks right now oh, with definitely. John Morris, who's obviously got his hands tied and the board call the shots. And then, obviously, when it doesn't go wrong, they blame the coach, don't they? Maybe there's some of that at totally. West as well. Totally. And, and it looks like Fitzgibbon's getting that job. That's a big one, isn't it? Obviously, he was linked with the old job. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, Huge. watch that one with interest. Huge, that. I mean, and, um, you know, there's, there's a big thing about waiting for the right job to come along. You know, and, and I get that. John Morris will will be a coach somewhere else. If not, if he if, if he doesn't stay there, or if he if he gets the house as the head coach and then maybe even steps down as assistant, which is possible, um, you know, and stays on as an assistant there. Which I mean, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? After being head coach and then staying on as the assistant to the new bloke. But he might do, and they might want to do that just to try and placate the playing group because apparently the playing group are up in arms about the fact that they're trying to get rid of him because the playing group love him. Um. So, you know, he will he will end up somewhere else. He may well end up at the at the Tigers because I don't think Maguire's got long. Um, but you know, he's Morris is a really really good coach. The thing is, 
Fitzgibbon's kind of waited. He's been linked with every job ever, you know, for the last three years. He was very heavily linked with the whole job. He, he, the Dragon's job was his if he wanted it. Um, and then he was also he was also actually in the frame for um, for um, the Titans' job as well before uh, before that went to um, Justin. What's his name? Um, Holbrook. Holbrook. So you know he's he's been there and thereabouts. If you're waiting for the right job to come up, I'm not sure Cronulla's the right job. Um, they've, they've got an aging roster. They've got some good good plans in place for next year, but you know they've got Cameron McInnes for a four year deal from next year, and, and they've got money to spend, and they've got plenty of money in the bank, and you know they've they've got some good players there. But I just think that for your first coaching job, you need something that's a little bit more established. Um, and I just don't, I don't think that's that's him. I completely agree with that. Absolutely, and it's sort of. Yeah. You know, it ties in with the right man for the right job point that we've obviously waxed lyrical about with Brett Hodgson coming over here and, and stamping his mark at LFC and, and so far, you know, everything that he's done has been absolutely bob on the money and we always mention, you know, the, the style of rugby and what a coach looks to implement yeah. and you know, I think some of your favourite people over in Australia are the Walker brothers and they don't totally. get a look in, do they? But the brand of rugby they no, play they is... is Absolutely incredible. I had a conversation on Twitter about this. Uh, I was waxing lyrical about Jerome Luai, who is an yeah. outstanding little player. Shades of Benji again in 2005. Yeah. Just plays what he sees. There's no book now. He just does what he wants. I'll count that with, yeah, but he's a cocky prick and I want to punch him in the Oh, yeah, face. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Great and I look, yeah, but then look at our favourite players. Old Jake Connor's a cocky little yeah. bugger, but we absolutely love him, don't we? But so, yeah, yeah. It, that brand of rugby, the freedom to express themselves, yeah. you know, to so, actually play what they see, as long as you've set that platform, you know, you earn the right to do that. And, and we've seen it all a little bit with the Reynolds, the Sneed and the and the Connor combination. And I absolutely love that style of rugby. And I think it won't be long before, you know, an NRL club go, you know what, yeah, let, let's throw them Walker brothers in, you know, let's go yeah. absolute, absolute chaos in attack and, and you know, all out defence. And it, so, <laughs> it'll be fun to watch. That goes without saying. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, the, the thing with coaching as well, especially over here, you've had some really highly regarded assistants that have that have had a crack at their head coach job and failed miserably. You know, I mean, like, you know, um, Garth Brennan didn't do anything. You know, Dean Pearce, Steve Price, Kearney even. You know, you can argue, I mean, you know, he's been a career coach and everything, but he's never had any success anywhere he went. And apparently, you know, because he was assistant to... to um, um, uh, Bellamy at, uh, at the at the storm before he went to Parramatta, and apparently Bellamy and Wayne Bennett both rang him and said, "Don't take the para job; they're a basket case." Because they were back then. Don't take the para job; you will regret taking the power the para job. And and you know he took it and he's done nothing as a coach. Even even um, Craig Bell. Self waited to get the right job and waited to get that Melbourne job. He was offered a, an open checkbook to go to the Tigers in the early 2000s and turned it down because he thought they were a basket case and didn't want to go. You know, it, it's about picking. It's about picking your mark. And there might be people who are fantastic coaches, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't work for them at that club. And then go to another club and and it'll go through the roof. You know, it's just it's just the way it works sometimes. Um, Nathan Brown, you know, never worked for him at the at the um, at the Dragons, 
but then he went to England and, and did and rehabilitated his career, and, and then he's come back here, and, and you know he's, he's doing wonders at the Warriors. Everyone loves him at the Warriors. Yeah, I'll say Anthony uh, Griffin as well. Good start to his uh, Griffin. Said Georgia well there. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, were really impressive yesterday, perfect. beating Parramatta. I mean, my dad obviously is a big Parra fan, and he was. I was saying you're in for a game here, and he was thinking, ah, nah, nah. Yeah. And I was like, well, I told you, they're a bloody good side. They've got some elf, you know, got some great, great young players coming through. Zach Lomax. I also like that uh, the number seven. Obviously, he's a bit, you know, a bit older now with Josh. I can't pronounce his surname, Crick or something. But yeah, he's obviously, great, great player. You know, they've got some good forwards in Tarek Sims. Yeah, yeah, good, good team, and it's good to see you know them because they've had a you know couple of really tough years obviously hope we came to Sydney and we played them didn't we um, in 2018 oh, and only, only just missed out yeah we, we should have beaten them yeah we, we should have beaten them but um, yeah I mean they're um, I thought that the Eels were bloody awful yesterday actually I thought they were terrible um, and, and you know Corey Norman a player that at the start of the season everyone's going oh this is last chance saloon for Corey Norman you know he's, he's having the season of his life because for some reason Griffin's just got him singing Jack Baird you know, played busted for two years, went massive money up to Brisbane, did bugger all, came back to the Dragons on no money at all, playing the, he's probably the, the form centre in the competition at the moment, you know, Dusty from the back, quick, elusive, difficult to put down, Ravel Hour, you know, a bloody massive winger, that, you're right, you know, they're the missing Ben Hunt, but that Adam Clune has, has just fitted in, do you know, he's just absolutely, just come and just gone, do you know what, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this chance with both hands, you know, which is all you can ask for as a reserve, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and to bring Andrew McCulloch into the team when what's his name got got injured for the season. Come the on, yeah, who's now gone to who goes to the Sharks? He's played his last game for the Dragons. To bring McCulloch in late late in the day, and and it's just been an absolute revelation, an absolute revelation. And their bench as well. I mean, you know, Merrin and Alvaro off the bench, you know, are just. They're they're going to come on and they're going to inject even more. Um, they're just they're just steamrolling the Eels. I thought the I thought the, the twelve points that the Eels scored flattered them. I really did. It did. A bit like our game against Huddersfield, where we won by twelve points, and you think thinking, well, miles better than that. Well, St George yeah. were you know a lot better than a fourteen point margin yesterday. Um, yeah. Funny how rugby league pans out sometimes. Sometimes, but yeah. Um, also, uh, yeah, the NRL is. The difference between the top and the bottom at the moment is yeah. absolutely huge, and and I find this really interesting because everyone over here in the UK still plays moans all the time about competitiveness and trying to get a. That's what the salary caps there apparently to make sure that it's competitive yeah. from the first to the twelfth, yeah. and you're never going to get that in a league. It's what people need to realise. And look at the Premier League. You know, look at the difference between a Man City and a Sheffield United. It's the same in the NRL right now. But the difference between a Penrith Panthers, a Melbourne Storm, a South Sydney Rabbitohs to a Canterbury Bulldogs is is, yeah. is absolutely colossal, and it it's frightening. And you, and you do see it in the in the games, the the intensity of the Penrith Canberra game, for instance, and then you know the one before it, Manly and New Zealand Warriors. You know, talk about Ice Men there. What about Daly Cherry Evans putting that drop goal over? Yeah, that was totally. never yeah, in doubt. Absolutely. Never yeah. in doubt at all. But yeah. the, the difference in the I mean, intensity in those two that, games. That was that was a game that, that screwed nearly everybody I know's tipping. Everybody <laughs> picked the Warriors that game. That 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 screwed everyone's tipping. Did that one? And you, your point's dead right. You know, but I mean, the salary cap should should start by you know a team like the Roosters or the Rabbitohs or whatever. And that's why there's always that kind of that kind of grumbling when you see the Roosters towards the top of the table, you know, they're oh, bloody hell, here we go again, salary sombrero and all the rest of it. Because they do tend to 
find, you know, players and all the rest of it. Yeah, look, you know, Roosters are four from five at the moment, and they've got one of the worst injury crises you'll ever see in your life. Jake Friend's been medically retired. Um, you know, you've got players out with head knocks, you've got players out with season-ending injuries, they've, they've lost their 5-8s, they've had to bring a teenage 5-8s in, who incidentally was incredible at the weekend, Walker. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, you'd think that the salary cap would bite a little bit in that they're having to bring these kids in to, to, to cover for... Um, for some of the established stars. The Morris twins are there, you know, top try scorer in the league, one of them, and they're on peanuts there because they're now 34 and all the rest of it and, you know, they're no longer representative players, so their value has gone down. So, And you get dispensation, I think, for a player over 33 as well. So, you know, there's a little bit there as well. But you look at a team like the Bulldogs, who are spending full cap and, you know, have hardly scored a point, 34 points all season. You know, you know, ridiculous. You know, played five, lost five, terrible. You know, what do you do? It's just you could you could look at the Bulldogs and say, new coach, they're in a period of rebuilding. You can kind of excuse having a bad season. Sea Eagles, you can't say that. Um, Cowboys, you can't say that. Tigers, you can't say that. Broncos, new coach and everything, but he's a guy who's been around the place for years, and. Um, even though he was on the outer for a couple of years, knows the club intimately and, and should have hit the ground running a lot quicker than he has. Knights should be doing better than they're doing. And then, you know, there's daylight between the the top eight and the bottom eight. You know, you got the Raiders sitting in eighth at the moment. They're better than that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. And, and we see it in Super League as well. Obviously, you've got totally. that, there's that bottom four that I think is a Stonewall dead set for that in yeah. uh, Rovers League. Wakefield and probably Salford. Obviously, their times yeah. run out after a you know, couple yeah, you of can, can, years. Every year, you can probably swap a Salford and a Huddersfield around, can't you? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And then, obviously, you've got your, you know, your Owls, your Castlefords, your Catalans that are sort of like mid to upper table. Then you, you're going, you've got your St. Helens, your Warringtons, your Wiggins, that, you know, your Leeds is that more, more than most are obviously up there and it'd be... Mm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that unfolds as the season progresses. Um but yeah, I think it's just absolutely ludicrous to expect you know every game to be competitive and every team to you know throw up at, you know to the intensity and the quality of what other teams do. And look at Penrith Panthers right now. Um, I think it was Michael Ennis said that they're going to go all season unbeaten, which is a mental claim after uh, yeah. five games. <laughs> Obviously, they only lost they one. Won. Yeah, they, they won. of course you're not. You're not going yeah, to go through to all. To your beaten, point, yeah. though, to your point, right about about games not being competitive, right? Rabbitohs Broncos was only ever going to be one one result this week and, and the Bunnies did push through and, and the Broncos were pretty awful. Warriors Sea Eagles was a classic, 13-12. You know, that was competitive. Uh, admittedly, towards the bottom end of the table, but competitive, right? Panthers Raiders. Raiders could probably feel a bit hard done by there. There was one of Panthers' tries was a clear forward pass and, and they were they were at least competitive for 60 minutes of that match and, and you know if, the, if the, the the try that was disallowed had been given and, and you know the one that was dropped cold by um, uh, what's his name by Croker, yeah um, you know that would have been a very very different game I think um, the Titans and the Knights the Titans ran away with that but you know the Knights should and could do better there Bulldogs and Storm was only ever going to be one thing um, Rooster Sharks was a classic it was a really good game 
Tigers and Cowboys was an absolute classic and the Tigers almost got over the top from at the end which would have been the most undeserved victory you'd ever seen in your life because we were terrible contrast in the end it was only a, yeah. well, mate, at the end it was only four points do you know I had that I had that message to you all ready to go if we'd have won that I'd have just got never in doubt <laughs> <laughs> but you know and then the Eels and the Dragons was, was a tussle as well and, and you know just because there's no golden point every week like there has been in other in other seasons you know it just it's just one of those years where the, the rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poorer. You know, back end of the season, it'll be very different. Remember a couple of years, or the last year, year before, where the Eels had that massive run when they were unstoppable at the start of the season and then just fell away really badly. You watch for you watch for a Raiders. You know, they're sitting in eighth at the moment. They'll finish top four. There's no way they're going to finish outside the top four. They're going to come come on with a wet sail. You know, you watch for the watch for the Titans. Watch for the Storm. You know, watch for the bunnies. When when the bunnies play the storm, or when the panthers play the raiders again, or when the titans play the roosters, then you're going to see some absolutely massive tussles. It just so happens that this round that's just gone, you had great team playing terrible team four games out of the eight. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how it pans out sometimes. And yeah. Yeah, it's just one we've got to take on the chin. Um, new little feature then, NRL connections with Hull FC. Going to go through, obviously, the 16 clubs week by week. We'll start with, uh, obviously, the best team in the Southern Hemisphere, which is the Penrith Panthers. And took some digging, obviously, the beneficiaries of heritage numbers from both Hull and Penrith. But I found nine players that have played for both. One who played for that one but didn't play for the other. And a very famous coach as well. Uh, the players are Sika Manu, Frank Pritchard, Craig Greenhill, Sid Domic, Matt Singh, Graham Mackay, David Lydiard, Des Hasler, and most famously of all, David Topos. Obviously, the infamous yeah. Ryan Benjafield, who never managed a game for Hull, did actually come from Penrith. And I've added this in. I reckon Ryan Benjafield has been mentioned in this in this podcast Every week. more often than he was even mentioned around his own breakfast table. Yeah, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. And I've also added in Roy Simmons, because he's one of the main reasons I yes. support the Panthers. Obviously, Hull coach. Yeah. Uh, when I first started going to the boulevard, oh, I must admit, I do not remember it back then, because we're talking 1994, I was two going on three. <laughs> but I was there, yep. I was there, I just didn't know yep. what I was watching. Still don't know, yep. to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> there's, some, there's some names, obviously, some recent ones in C. Commando, Frank Pritchard, with a yep. Pritchard, obviously, you know, pretty uh, fresh in the memory. I'd, for, I'd forgotten that Des Hasler had played for, for uh, the Panthers, yeah. actually. That's when I had to double check, bit... to be honest, mate. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a... There's a little bit of a... A little bit of a connection there with Roy Simmons as well, because Roy Simmons ran seven um, seven marathons in seven days to raise the money to sign Des for Hull when he was Hull coach. So there's obviously a bit of a connection there as well. So um, the other connection, of course, is, is Shane Richardson, who was our CEO, then moved over to Panthers to take over there. And um, while he was over there, he appointed um, David Maiden as uh, head of youth as well. So uh, Dave's now up in. Uh, North Queensland doing the same job up there for the Cowboys because you often see him. You often see him um, pitch side at a couple of their games as well. So another uh, little uh, little piece of uh, trivia there for you as well. Yeah, a good one that. Uh, some a player there or two players actually. I remember from when I was going nine on ten. So our last season at the Boulevard, uh, Craig Greenall and. And Graham Mackay, I also remember that game against New Zealand, last ever game at the Boulevard, yes. he kicked that random drop goal over, a bit like what Pat Richards did for Wigan a few years ago in the, yeah. in the derby at St. Helens, yeah. and like, where the hell did that come from? And it just sailed over, it was an absolute, you know, delta of a drop kick. 
Yeah, I remember when we signed him as well because he'd had a couple of seasons. I think he was at Bradford, wasn't he? And um, it, it, we kind of signed him like very much for the last season of his career. And when we signed him, I kind of thought, what, really? You know, he's like 34 year old centre or whatever. But he, he did really well for us. He never took a backward step. Um, and weirdly, when I when I got the job at the radio station over here, he's, one of his cousins works with me, Craig, Craig McKay. Um, so I know, I, know, um, I know him by association a little bit as well. So, um, yeah, he was, he was a good player, Graham McKay. Mackay, yeah. It was absolutely. And obviously, Sid Domic was decent over here for a, you know, a couple yeah. of seasons. Did some uh, artwork as well, some Australian Aboriginal artwork. I, I yeah. mean, mum's actually got one, really good. She's got it in, really? a, yeah, in a downstairs place. Oh, yeah, really I've good. I've messaged him. I've messaged him to see if he's still got a couple of prints left to sell because I'd love one. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I've, I've I've tried to get one off him because he designed the first um, indigenous um, jersey as well when they first did the indigenous all stars over here. He designed the first jersey. It's a Dominic. Brilliant. I'm pretty sure the 2014 Hull SE Magic shirt was designed by Sid Domic as well. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. That was, I've got that one yeah. there. That's up in the loft somewhere in a cardboard box. It's <laughs> probably full of cobwebs now, but yeah, it's there. Uh, Frank the Tank. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, when I say about locally, you know, locally produced Penrith players, I mean, obviously he started off at Penrith before the Bulldogs purchased yeah. him and obviously we got him from there, didn't we? But obviously yeah. a good season. He, he was actually instrumental in organising you know all that camaraderie and the closeness the Polynesian Brotherhood at Hull FC I totally. think he was the centre of that totally. one he with his big you know big smile the beard you know I think a lot yeah. of fans took to him as well and do you know what he had a bit of a dodgy time at Penrith as well there was there was a lot of a lot of issues with him there he, he had some disciplinary problems and, and he uh, he got out one night and got into a fight he cut his thumb up and everything and he was out for quite a while um, you know he was, he was a bit of a bad lad at, uh, at Penrith and when he went to the Bulldogs, they were all like, oh, Jesus, you know, because the Bulldogs haven't got the great reputation for, uh, you know, for um, telling the players what to do and the players actually adhering to it. You know, famously, there was the Bulldogs um, allegations in 2003 or four, I think, where they'd all got a, on a bonding trip to Coffs Harbour and a girl had alleged that she'd been gang raped by the players, you know. So whenever a player goes to the Bulldogs, it's a little bit dodgy. You kind of go, oh, geez, here we go. And when he went there, I, I really did fear for his, his career. But, mate, he was... I think when, when when we announced we'd signed him, he went through an absolute Indian summer of his career there. It, they were building to something that year, the, the Bulldogs. They looked incredible. And he was in the middle of most of it. You know, rampaging through the middle, you know, late offloads, incredible bone-crunching tackles. He was, a, he was a weapon player in his day. He really was. Yeah, he was, and I think we, we used him probably. Uh, I yeah, I think I would say wrongly because we used him as a ball playing yeah. mi middle. And I remember speaking to him once at a Player of the Year thing, and he said, "I never played prop in my life." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. but you're making two hundred meters every week, and you're getting your offloads away." So, yeah, but it's like, yeah. And obviously, we had C Commando at the time, and Mark Minicello obviously blowing up trees in Super League for you know while they were here. And I sort of thought, well, there's probably a reason why you're on the bench coming on as a middle because obviously them two blokes are there, but. I still think you can't say his his time at all was not a success. It was obviously he won the cup that year, and he was, you know he's a big part of that. He's one of the seventeen Wembley, you know original Wembley immortals. So yeah, totally and totally. And have you seen have you seen that video from the um, from the, the camera they gave him round his chest, um, and then the player cam thing that they put round his chest after he'd won after he'd um, gone up and, and got his uh, medal and everything. 
running over to the whole players, uh, the, the whole supporters, and screaming, yeah, I'm the tank, yeah, the tank. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, come on. How good this? Brilliant. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you know, the, the, I don't know whether it's true or not, but the feeling was that we, we allowed him to go a, a year early so we could get Albert Kelly in, wasn't it? That was more or yeah, less it. That, yeah, I think that was pretty much it. And maybe, like, I think yeah. you also said, did the dirty on him, was the phrase you used. I, and I think... He, I think I, you could I argue with some legs in that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think there is some legs in that as well. Um, but obviously, it, it was the right decision. Yeah. Obviously, he got his gig, yeah. his gig at Parramatta, didn't he? So it's not like he was lost in the wilderness. He did, and then, you know, and then retired halfway through the season with a chronic knee injury, so we probably did the right thing. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you get a player who's a, a, you know, a world-leading second rower, and you play him out of position, and he, you know, and he's part of the team that gets you to Wembley, and he gets a, he's part of the immortal seventeen that that we know all's, all's first ever game at Wembley, and and you know you, you ship him out three months later, you just yeah, you, you know, it, I never thought that we treat him particularly well, but you, you know he, he doesn't have a bad way to say about the place, you know, he's, he still looks out for our um, for our results and everything, and he's still he's, he'll always be all FC immortal. Even if he only played fifteen matches or twenty matches or whatever, he's, he'll still be one of our all-time, you know, seventeen that won at Wembley. Exactly, and arguably the player with the biggest pedigree. Again, he was only at Hull for four seasons. Obviously, signed in nineteen eighty-one. That's David Topless. So obviously, went to Penrith in the in the close seasons back when you know, obviously the uh, rugby league in the UK was a winter game, so an Australian summer, yeah. if you like. And there was a little bit of crossover, and you know, Topless at all needs no introduction. He was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and when we get to the, the Tigers as well, Topo came to um, Balmain as well, um, and and the, the year that he, he went to Penrith actually, there was there was a big English contingent that came out. I think Brian Lockwood came out, who played for Rovers and played for Witness um, as well, and uh, Norton came out at the same time. Mal really was out here, um, you know. There was there was a few players that came out, but you know, David Topless, one of the greatest players I've ever seen play. He just. For a for a player playing at standoff, he just seemed to have just more time than anyone else. You know, he just he, he was just blessed with with one of those brains that was three steps ahead of everyone else. And you know, we, we've we've mentioned the runaround try that that uh, Johnson scored at the weekend. You know, just I don't, I don't think another whole player of that era would have been capable of doing what he did in that eighty two replay. Yeah, it was incredible. Like, the run around with James Lulai. I would say the speed of it, the fact that it was witnessed, you know, the uh, big cup kings, cup kings of that yeah. era. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal try. I don't think there's a Hull FC fan alive that hasn't seen that. And if you haven't, get out of your cave, mate, and watch it. Yeah, <laughs> go and watch it now. Yeah. Brilliant. But yeah, obviously, a few connections there. Uh, finish with uh, yeah. Matt Singh, two years at the back end of his career, obviously at Hull FC, in the uh, Richard Agar era that obviously we all love so much. Yeah, yeah, on a bit of hiding to nothing then, wasn't he? <laughs> poor lad. <laughs> Look, yeah, poor lad. Look, he, he never let us down. Um, scored some good tries. He was fairly good defensively. He didn't go wandering. He stuck on his wing. Um, but, you know, it wasn't the Matt Singh of, of four years previous that was tearing up roots in, in origin and, and all the rest of it. And unfortunately, we, we got him right at the back end of his career like we did with a Nathan Blacklock. But at least Blacklock still had a little bit of speed. Singh had lost a, a yard of pace by the time we got him, really. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, I never saw the bloody ball on the wing unless he came in looking for it. I mean, that was well, exactly. the brand of rugby yeah. that we played there. Well, you know, it wasn't great, and that's where I finish 
on the point that we made about the two centres right now and the two wingers at all, they're going to get a bucket load of tries this year with the way we're playing right now. And long may that continue. Totally. Right, thanks for your time, Rick, and all the best. Thanks, mate.